I try to cover this, as I say, on these shows. And what we do on this show is to chronicle, really chronicle, the events as we go through them. Because believe you me, unless you were organized, you would never change any of this. And unless you had the, the same kind of access to the power elite and their money system, you could never counter it either. We're dealing with people who've been at this for centuries to bring in a controlled, scientifically controlled world order under their own jurisdiction and their power only. Our whole societies across the world have been molded to take down our societies as we go through these massive changes. I'll be back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, and we're back cutting through the matrix. And I always explain the matrix is it's something that you're born into. It pre-exists you. It was there when your parents were born, and they were born in a different room than you, basically. There's so many rooms in it, each for different generations. Some are micro-managed, uh, basically, from generation to generation. Once in a while, you get a, a slow drift between two generations, but now, of course, it's really speeded up. Every generation is born into its own compartment, and they're given a good mind job to, to reinforce the, 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 the fact that they're separate from anyone who came before them, basically. This is their time. This is their generation. And they truly believe that all the electronic gizmos out there are a godsend just made for them. And they use them without any thoughts of privacy. They don't even think of privacy. In fact, most of them say they don't need it. Uh, they're perfectly ready for the New World Order, and uh, that's why it was designed. Uh, the computer was designed for information collection and for profiling everyone who would use the system, who would be made to use the system, because they knew eventually it, everyone would have to have one even to survive in the system. And in a new system, of course, you're either in it or out of it. If you're out of it, you're a non-person. Uh, that's as simple as that. That's what it's really meant to be. Many books were written back in the 50s and 60s, science fiction books, put out by the boys who attended the big futurist societies where those who financed their books and told them what to write about uh, were part of the ruling establishment, and their books became predictive programming. Very entertaining, of course, and they would tell you the world that was designed to, to come into being. And that way, too, when it actually happens gradually into that world in the science fiction book, when it becomes reality, you're not so shocked by it. You kind of expected it. It's just that you don't realize, no, you, you, predictive programming has made all the decisions for you. That's why you accept it. But as I say, all you can do is chronicle this big world movement. It's a world movement. It's global. It's every country on the planet. And there are organizations that have been fighting it for an awful long time. And what they're doing is really a rear guard action, as they call it, as you withdraw. And you're being chased and you try and delay, you use the delaying tactics by slowing it down if possible, because you know you must, number one, you must, you have no choice in the matter, and you try to blunt the, the sharp effects of it coming in full blast without any 
anything to stop it from happening. And that's the big problem today, as I say. Now, it's a world organization. It's a world society who, that runs this world. The world society existed uh, hundreds of years ago. They came really far more into power, uh, at least visibly, in the 1800s in, across the, the so-called civilized countries by establishing the same kind of banking systems, making sure through their own organization only their own boys would be in power and all the main capacities of power, including the financial sectors. And they had it in their idea all along. They would go into a global society. In the 20th century, they brought on World War One and Two. They financed their enemies into power, and they financed the machinery for war for these enemies too. And they eventually went into a Cold War, which was really a sham, because they were using masses of taxpayers' money. And once again, under the threat of annihilation, we don't mind being taxed so heavily uh, when they, they see they're trying to save us, the oldest trick in the book. And they used that money to basically work on all the gizmos and gadgets and your cell phones that you're now using today. They were invented many, many moons ago and uh, all for tracking and tracing. During that period, they knew that uh, Russia would fold, apparently fold, at least the Soviet Russia would fold uh, at the right time, late 70s, early 80s, they projected, and it did. Then we merged with that system, and now you have the new Soviet bloc. It's a neo-Soviet bloc run by the capitalists, or at least what's called capitalists. They have another... A little agenda there too, of course. But you know, in the, in the early 20th century, there were people in Britain, a key player in this one, uh, lords, of course, not just Bertrand Russell, but other ones too, who predicted the kind of future they were going to bring in across the entire planet. And they even discussed the, the television in the 1920s and how that would affect people when it eventually was put on the market many, many years later. So, really, what we're given as science is always obsolete. The, the trick is to keep a whole population living in what they think is the cutting edge. And that's what your popular science magazines are there for. That's what all your, your internet um, science blogs are about, too, to make you think you know it all and that uh, they're just working on certain things for the near future, but they haven't perfected them yet and all that nonsense. In reality, everything that they're talking about is old hats. Whatever the public has given something to use, it's technically obsolete from the big boy's point of view. And it's always been that way. Now, I said before, and it's not defeatist, by the way, when you say, you know, you cannot take these characters on uh, on their own playing field. It's impossible. Number one, they run the monetary system of the world. We know it's all crooked. We know it's all wrong. We know that every country, and I get letters all the time from people who know what should be done for their own money system to work well in each country. Get rid of these central banks that that basically don't print their own money. And all money, of course, is put in in there as debt, and then they sell off this debt, and then it's up in a stock market. and it's, It's incredible. It's a casino. We all know that. We know that the Federal Reserve is a crook in the U.S. It's always it was set up to be a crooked society and to take over the monetary system and cause massive debt. The Bank of Canada basically gives away its right to print its own money debt-free. 
and spend it into circulation in Canada. The reason being, any country that did that would become what they would think was nationalist. You become proud of your country. You'd have great schools, great universities, great uh, healthcare, all those things that make you proud to live in a country. And they didn't want that for the future. They wanted people to be international, you see. And so they basically borrow money from the Canadian the, the, the government, borrows money from their private banks. And the, the Canadian dollar is actually printed in Germany. And then again, they sell it off as, as debt to those who want to hold it or buy it. So everyone knows what has to be done, but it will never, ever, ever be done. Be done. It will never be done because the big boys would lose all the power that really is a driving force for everything that's happening. When they came in with the service economy nonsense, and they came in too early in, in places like Britain, told them you're going to be a service economy, all the, all the factories are going out of country, and it was all done again by people that, in politics that people thought they elected, but they didn't really because they're all placed there for you by one organization. And we know that the Royal Institute for International Affairs, places that they're men there, they have for over a hundred years. Doesn't matter which party boss you vote for, he's one of their boys. And the, the coterie behind them will all be their boys too. Same in the US, under the CFR. Same in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, elsewhere. Same, same bunch. And they have a mission to bring in a global society. They were the ones who pushed through the United Nations to do the GATT treaty that basically made, it, made sure that all your own factories not only would go up and leave you, but they go over to China and your tax money would fund them over. And they're setting up as well. We funded that and we fund them for any losses incurred during the 10 year period. And that can be renewed for a further 10 year if they say they're not making enough money. We were to turn into service economies, which is an absolute nonsense. It's a temporary stop measure as you're, uh, it's like a dog in a swimming pool. It can only keep paddling until it drowns. That's what a service economy is. And they all knew that. Meanwhile, they were setting up the the new society, the, which is really um, it's a totalitarian society, to take care of the Western countries, starting again with movies, TV shows, uh, even showing them what, what to uh, the cops and the, and the up-and-coming cops, the youngsters who would be cops, what they'd be dressing like down the road in the future with their tattoos and their crew cuts and uh, all that kind of stuff. Now you're seeing it in reality. That's how they do dress. That that was all done for them. Everything is shown to you, and, and you adapt to it like Plato says. You see the stage actors, and you emulate what you see. Nothing, nothing really surprising about that. But that's how perfectly the world is run. And there are specialists and and thousands uh, of workers and departments working always on creating the new future for every part of the transition. You can't take it head-on without total rebellion, and total rebellion would bring a, a chaos regardless, because even if you all started off with the right ideas of what you want, you still have elements within you, and power plays would then break out immediately, and you would have incredible chaos. That's the standard thing of rebellion. The governments themselves have been building up private armies. The police are militarized, and they're interchangeable. 
with the, with the, the, the military now, and uh, they're ready for anything. In fact, they, they look forward to that day when they can go out and really use their, their, their weaponry on the general public. That's the type that's been reared for this present time in history. They have been reared especially for it. So it's a bad time in history. Uh, we can't plead to our masters. They won't listen. Uh, they know what their part in the agenda is, and they, they, they've vowed. These guys take vows and oaths to make sure they bring in, it, it through. You take, for instance, um, uh, the ex-Prime Minister Brown of Britain, who before that he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer, so, uh, basically the Treasurer, the guy who was back since the days of the Knights Templar, that's why they call it the Chequer. And the Templar is used to, in the City of London, in the open air, and you can still see it, yeah, it's an outside chessboard, and that's how they worked out their profits and their losses, with big long poles. He sunk Britain, now he's off to America for the IMF to work there. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, just chronicling a little of the history of what we've gone through in the last 25, 30 years or so, maybe 40 years, of how every step is planned in advance and interlocks with the next part. And we saw that the creation of the, the European bloc, something, of course, that Karl Marx wanted uh, to happen. He documented that um, in Das Kapital in the 1800s. He said there'd be three world trading blocs, each with their own particular parliamentary form of government, but they would be subservient to a world government. And, of course, that's what NAFTA also is to become, eventually, uh, with more utter more chaos. So there's nothing we can do. We're all broke. We've got to just come into one big uh, country with Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., Chile, and a few other countries to follow. Eventually, they all have to follow. That is the agenda. And the same with the Far Eastern Bloc as well. So you're, you're living through an agenda. There's no doubt about it. And, I've, and people have asked me before, you know, about voting and so on. And I've always said to them, the only way you should vote is if you could possibly get the history of every candidate. You've got to find out, number one, what secret societies or societies with secrets, as they like to call them, uh, do they belong to and have they taken oaths to? Because I, I was going through 100,000 Freemasons, famous Freemasons. It's astonishing. Everybody who's ever been anybody in Canada, the States, or Britain, and elsewhere, has been a high-ranking Freemason. That's one common factor you'll find in all of them who work in this agenda. And then you have to find out, too, what other agencies do they work for and have affiliations with, such as the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, and you strike them off as well, because they have a global agenda. They're a big driving, they're probably the big driving force towards it all. So I'd never vote for anyone who belonged to one of these organizations, especially when you go through, even in Freemasonry, what all of their plans were to bring in a brotherhood across the world. Um, if you read the writings of Mazzini and other ones too, they talked about the end of private property and the, the, the destruction of the institution of marriage, all these things, same things that the communists were pushing for. Why was that? Well, you find from Trotsky's books there were communists there too in Soviet Russia. He was a communist and he was a, a Freemason himself. 
So you, you find there have been people like that down through the ages, same organizations fighting towards, and well-funded, mind you, towards a particular goal in mind. Part of this whole idea of bringing in the, the, the world system under the United Nations, with three trading blocks, each, each country being subservient into a region, uh, again goes far, far back. Karl Marx and others have, have talked about it in better detail, greater detail. And part of it was to end nationalism. Nationalism had to go. People tended to fight for their countries, you see. The further thing something becomes, the bigger something becomes like a, a trading block. You can't relate to it psychologically, and therefore you, you don't fight to keep it, but you do fight to keep a country. So nationalism was to be completely outlawed, uh, really stepping up after World War II. And they used these wars to, to then point out, look, nationalism brought us here, which was utter nonsense. But uh, nationalism had to go, because that's where your power will, will lie, is in nationalism. Those nations left had to be flooded with immigrants from all cultures to denationalize, deculturalize the people. That was another part of the war strategy as well. And oh, the only country that's allowed to be nationalist and allowed to be expansionist or, or to go into the empirical uh, takeovers of land is Israel, if you notice. No one ever bothers about Israel. It's, it's truly nationalist as a country. And it's allowed to expand its empire. It still is right now, in fact, taking over more lands from the Palestinians. And no one across the world will say anything about it because, you see, the big bankers are involved and the big bankers tell out their countries what to do. He who hath the gold maketh the rules. And that's um, a saying put out there a long time ago by those that helped run the old whiskey trade and uh, eventually became senators in the U.S. Congress. So that's how it really is, you see. Um, all religions, too, basically, have to go by the wayside. Again, again, except for Israel, of course. They have to go by the wayside because they're, they don't, they're not inclusive enough. So they have to go out the window. And they've been very successful with that. Most people are technically atheistic or pan, going back to pantheistic. That's allowed. You mean pantheistic, you can burn incense and do your little guru stuff or whatever. If you want to pay money to a guru or join a little group of Wiccans and, and trips you through the forest on certain moons, stuff like that. So that's okay. That's no threat to the world government. But um, the world government is very real and it's really here. Uh, the militarization of the police and, the, and uh, the, your military as well to be used inside your own countries is all part of the chaos. They know it must come down the pike. It's already starting in some places. We see little skirmishes here and there. But you eventually, according to the army's own report for the next 25 years to 30 years, there's going to be increasing riots across the world, mainly to do with food rationing. That will kick it off. It'll also be come down to lack of goods, services, all of that kind of stuff. That will all factor into it. Now, our own leaders, who are not, are never were our leaders actually, but say our own leaders, have signed all the treaties necessary to denationalize your countries, to allow foreign investment into your country with under their own terms. Uh, they've also given us the ridiculous notions that we can compete with China, 
the very nation that the West set up through treaties and funded through treaties and trained all their engineers before they even had the factories to work in. It was, it was done by the West. How on earth can you compete with China, where they work for maybe a few cents per day? It's impossible. But they literally with straight faces tell us we'll have to do that. And then supposedly the North American bloc is to compete with the European bloc, which is utter nonsense as well. And at number two, why should we be competing with anybody? Is that what life's all about, competition for finances by competing with other countries? I don't think so. I really don't think so. I don't think this is what life is all about. They've always said there are rulers and they are the ruled. You see, we are the, we are the ruled. That's the key to it. The rulers are intermarried, intergenerational. Uh, often the fathers uh, do, do, or the sons do the same as the grandfather did in his part in the agenda, intergenerationally. Same with the foundations. The foundations were started up by the big uh, and, uh, corporate bankers of, of the world, the guys who owned the oil industries and so on. They became the first philanthropists. And under philanthropy, they could bypass regular governments using non-governmental organizations and lobby governments for what they wanted, which just happens to be what the politicians wanted to hear, in fact. And they're all ready to sign the agreements with them because that's what they want too. They work in tandem, but they use the NGOs to pretend they're speaking on behalf of the people. We're now post-democratic, let's not kid ourselves. We're an authoritarian system. They've said before it must be an authoritarian system, that democracy would never work in this system. And so people would have to be trained, retrained, that they didn't have rights at all. They'd only have the certain privileges that the government authorized them to have. But they still expect massive mayhem and chaos. And you can see that by, as I say, the way that the cops are today. When they all change into the black uniforms, and then they start around in T-shirts, tattooed arms, uh, crew cuts, you know you're in trouble. You're seeing the things they showed you in their sci-fi movies not too long ago, where society is totally broken, and uh, it's just dog-eat-dog society. That's what they're showing you. That's where we have to come down to. But they also talk about a post, uh, a new world order that comes out of this uh, this chaos with the older type of humans dying off. Those who are not fit to survive will die off, they claim. There will be no welfare state in the future. And if you don't serve the system, you will not be allowed to live. We found guys like George Bernard Shaw came out and said those very things. At the turn of the 20th century, he worked for the Fabians which does the left-wing work for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and they have, of course, the right-wing guys, too, for the right-wing work. They were on both sides of it. The Soviets did the same thing. If you don't work, you don't eat. There will be no unhealthy people. There are completely eugenicists, too. And, of course, um, in the future, very near future, uh, it, was, it is definitely coming down to who will breed, who will not be allowed to breed. And you find people like Lord Birkenhead, back in 1920s, talking about that very thing too. He knew that time would come. And he said too, with the ability to train stupider people to do menial work, it'd be too much of a temptation of big, powerful, authoritarian government to ignore that ability, that science that they could use, and that they would in fact use it. So I don't get hot and bothered when I hear about what's happening next. There's nothing happening next that I never expect. 
because I read all their books and their magazines. And they tell you what they're going to do. If you know what you're reading and how to read it, they tell you. So why freak out when you see the next part coming down at the pike? People freak out because really they feel so powerless. That's really what the bottom line is. It's a society which where the individual has no power. You know, some people break down with, with different um, psychiatric terms that they'll use on them, with identity crisis and so an alienation crisis. It's because you, you don't feel you belong anywhere anymore because everything is changing so rapidly. This is not a society that's humane. It's run by what they think is science, practicality, pragmatism. And whatever happens to you is just unfortunate. You're one of the eggs that has to be broken, as Mr. Rockefeller would say, if you want to make an omelet. Nothing is happening by chance. The collapse of the banking system was just designed to collapse when they designed it, when they said it was going to collapse, because they could have kept the same con Ponzi scheme scheme gain going uh, exactly the same way for another hundred years if it, if they so desired. It was always a Ponzi scheme. Now, there's an article here. It's from Activist Post, and I'll put this link up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. It says. Uh, 16th of August, 10 signs the U.S. is becoming a third world country. And it goes on about it, um, hanging on by a thread to its first world status. Well, it's past that. It's even IMF said it's now third world, according to the debt ratio. Saddled by debt, engaged in wars on multiple fronts with a rising police state at home, which reminds me, too, of one of the articles I read by Toynbee, I think it was. The Rhodes, uh, he taught the Rhodes Scholars in Oxford. And in the 30s, he said that um, the U.S. would lead right through the 20th century into the 21st as the policemen of the world. They'd falter through maybe major wars. Uh, They'd rally again for a final thrust, and then they'd be burned out. Then China would take over as the policemen of the world. Getting back to this article here, it said here, at home they've got declining economic productivity, Productivity and wild currency fluctuations all threaten America's future. By the way, they're bringing in um, civilian police into Los Angeles now. They're copying the British system for those who know about the British, um, this new British civilian police force that they've also brought in. It says the general designations of the ranking system for world status date back to the 50s and have included countries at various stages of economic development. Since the Cold War, the definition has come to be synonymous with repressive countries where a wealthy class of ruling elite segment society into the haves and have-nots, many times capitalizing on the conditions that follow an economic crisis or war. While much of the world is still mired in poverty, the reduced cost of innovative tools such as computing and connectivity ironically puts traditional third world countries at the forefront of a new lean and mean economy that's based on ideas of empowerment for, uh, for the disenfranchised. For better or worse, the world is leveling due to globalism. It's not leveling at all. I don't care how long you sit and play with a computer, you're not going to be rich. You're not going to be, and you come up with an idea and it's on the computer, someone's going to steal it very quickly. Uh, one of the gates uh, knockoffs, you know. But it says, here's the signs, rising unemployment and poverty. Unemployment numbers, food stamps, and home foreclosures continue to reach the new high. The ugly reality of those numbers was recently on display when 30,000 people showed up to apply for public housing in East Point, Georgia, for 455 available vouchers. 
Fights broke out, police were fainting from the heat while in line, and riot police showed up to handle the angry poor. That's what you see in the science fiction movies. That's what you see in, the, in those science fiction movies. Two, economic dependence. The U.S. finished 2009 with a debt-to-GDP ratio of 85%, according to the IMF. Uh, the current trend projects the U.S. to finish 2010 at 94% and 2011 at 98%. The 90% level has become the IMF's make-or-break point for countries hoping to grow their way out of the debts. If the government debt load climbs above 90% of the GDP, economic growth slows so much that growth is no longer a viable solution for reducing that debt, and the IMF uh, insists on austerity measures. Austerity measures. But they've, they've already put that on the U.S. So the U.S. is classed now as a third world nation. Surpassing this debt threshold has also caused China's lead credit rating agency to cut America's credit rating. And what a con, if you really believe there are wars in separate countries. The U.S. used to give all of its um, debt money. It's always held by Japan. That's how they used to handle it. It's now held by China, who supposedly not long ago was your main enemy. They were never an enemy, because the same big boys at the top, the same big boys run China and set up China. And have their own society set up there, too, to make sure that the people don't get any ideas. Declining civil rights. Everyday freedoms are often a casualty of a society and collapse. As the anger of the populace mounts in response to declining economic conditions and political corruption, the government counters by increasing draconian measures that restrict the political rights and civil liberties of its citizens. Again, just like the sci-fi movies they've been showing you for years for what's to come. America is becoming a country like China, which is one of the lowest scores, according to Freedom House. In America, private discussions and movements are monitored. Free speech is corralled. The freedom to assemble for protest is government, but by the government decree. And independent thought that questions the political system is looked upon with suspicion. A final indicator is when the government insists upon secrecy for its own actions, while new laws and systems are created to put the individual under nearly constant surveillance. Well, that's a fact. We're all there. Increasing political corruption. When political corruption becomes the accepted norm, as opposed to the exception, there's a good bet your country resembles the third world. Congress and all major institutions face a growing crisis in confidence, where a record low 11% of the population believe Congress is doing a good job, and now seems obvious to all observers that big corporations directly control the agenda in Washington, much like typically corrupt third world countries. Military patrolling the streets. The rise of militarized police state is a hallmark of most third world countries, particularly in times of rapid economic collapse. America's declaration of the war on terror has created a constant threat to national security that's allowed for the military to be deployed on American soil. Building upon the war on drugs, this has created a fusion between the military and local police. And that's what you've got, a fusion, where military-grade weapons and tactics are being used against American citizens in a, a, a cascade of violent confrontations over non-violent offenses. Uh, military checkpoints are moving further inland, away from meaningful border control functions, and a full-blown military presence in American cities has been planned by the U.S. Army War College. And that's true. I've got the whole article, uh, 50 pages of it, in my website archives, along with the NATO one think tank for Britain and other countries.
failing infrastructures. 46 of 50 states are on the verge of bankruptcy. Cities are going dark. Asphalt roads are returning to the Stone Age. It's all potholes everywhere. And national budget cuts are leaving students without teacher supplies or a full-time education. These are common features one will see as they travel through the poorest of third-world countries. The disappearing middle class during the last presidential debate season, he argued that a family income of $250,000 was solidly middle class. Well, census data shows less than 15% of families made over $100,000, and only 1.5% of families made over 250000 The income gap between the rich and the poor has increased at a staggering pace, while many more middle-class folks join the ranks of the poor every day. Cavernous income gaps may be that third-world nations are best known for. Devalued currency is another one. The value of the Federal Reserve notes has declined 96% since the inception of the Federal Reserve in 1913. The value of the dollar is based on its supply and circulation and, to a lesser extent, the demand for those dollars. For the last three years, the money supply has spiked literally off the charts. It can be argued that the dollar has become America's top export as the world's reserve currency, and if the volatile dollar is scrapped, which the UN and IMF now suggest, then demand will plummet, killing the currency. They should kill more than the currency. I think they should also destroy that Federal Reserve, just take the buildings and put the the bricks to good use. Controlling the media, a government-influenced media that censors information is a key component of third-world countries. In some countries, are openly owned by the state. It's only openly owned by the state. In America, privately owned major media is not as balanced or as diverse as it seems. The concentration of ownership has led to censorship when national and corporate interests have sometimes overlapped. should also say, too, that every single one is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. The persecution of high-profile investigative journalists such as WikiLeaks is set amid a backdrop of the proposed Internet censorship of bloggers who wish to remain anonymous. The end of net neutrality creates a play-to-play system that can lead to further corporate and government control of information and opinion. Cybersecurity initiatives are the final nail in the coffin as the entire free flow of information can be vetted to a China-style system of identity management. On the street, the police state and media control have converged in the recent rise of arrests for those who videotape the police. There's a huge blow to First Amendment rights and the role of photojournalists who wish to document public police behavior. The tenth one is capital controls. Many nations have enforced capital controls as their economies collapse. It most recently helped in, or happened in Argentina and Venezuela as they sought to keep the remaining wealth within their borders. The SEC already has adopted policies to allow money market funds to suspend withdrawals during a financial crisis, while the recent higher HIRE bill, HR2487, puts restrictions on Americans moving capital to foreign countries. Some economists suggest that the national debt has gotten so high that the government must now force investment of private capital into U.S. Treasury debt. So, basically, it points to something that's coming up worse than the Great Depression. As we all know, it's designed that way. Anyone who's really studied this for a long time. Because the, the debt-money system is designed to always go in this route of an incredible debt. I actually wonder what governments meant when they, what it meant when they would say that they'd, they'd, um, they'd matched, basically, um, the debt for that year, or they'd paid off the debt for that year. What they were talking about was the interest on all the money they owned. 
That was balancing the budget. That's what they meant by that. Not paying off the debt, but just meeting the interest payments. And now some countries owe over $900 billion. You know, it's, it's phenomenal. So that's what you, that's the, really the standards of uh, the checklist for a third world country. That's what that is. Now, technology's got a big, big part of it, massive part of it too. And you'll find that technology is all part of bringing into a new electronic prison system. Uh, we know, for instance, they're going to use medications on the general public as a matter of mandatory law that will come in like the movie that THX, uh, I was 1138, uh, where you're drugged all the time. And the national health services, which they must bring in to make this happen, to work along with the courts, are all part of it. The National Health Service in Britain is to launch um, a, a new type of pill. It's called Chip and Pill, the high-tech tablet that will text you when it's time to take another dose. That's how they start it. That, you, that always make you think that you're in charge initially. A smart pill, that, that's what they call personal computers, personal like it's yours. A smart pill that texts patients' mobile phones if they forget to take medication has been tested in the UK. The National Health Service is using 40 volunteers right now to take standard versions of their heart pill fitted with a microchip. The chips in the pill send signals to a patch attached to the patient's shoulder when swallowed. It also, of course, um, in the Internet of Things, where everything's attached to everything else, and communicating with everything else, also, also tip them off when you haven't taken your mandatory medication, you know, for your, for your mind, that is. So technology in the patch monitors when the pills are swallowed and can send the text that the patient forgets to take it. It's known as RAISIN, the system. Also monitors heart rate, heart activity, and how well the patient is sleeping, all of which may signal a deteriorating condition. It costs a few pens per pill, and was initially tested in the U.S., where it improved the rate patients consistently took the medication from 30% to 80%. Well, that's a PR handout, so of course I'll never tell you the truth. If successful, the four-month trial being run in Peel by Imperial College Healthcare in National Health Service Trust, Imperial College London, and the Royal Berkshire Hospital, Reading, Reading could lead to a year-long National Health Service trial. We know eventually all children will be on this stuff too, by the way. And the teacher and everyone else will know when their pills have been taken. And this is all definitely coming down the pike. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Now, the Singularity Forum is on again. Uh, that's, that's the bunch who really getting paid to spearhead the whole idea of the Singularity. They call it Singularity Summit. No, they say in their, their website here at this meeting, no place for human values in a post-human future. This is the um, post-humanist um, group, one of the major ones here, being well-funded from the top boys again, for us all to emulate, of course, into transhumanism. But they're actually saying here, Singularity Summit, no place for human values in a post-human future. That's what you're seeing already in your society with the cruelty and the use of police and military on the general public. Uh, human values are out the window. We're just scum now. We're just excess scum. Excess is a word, you see. And from the same organization, they go on about artificial intelligence, how it's all upon us, and so on. I'll put both of the links up on the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, at the end of the show. 
And then you go into the BBC News. Now, they always set up uh, vanguards, people who go to, to try something new for the world order, right? And you've been taught that you're going into an age of austerity. Those who have watched some of the sci-fi movies will see this with the, the youngsters on the street, homeless in the, in the future, which is really here. Uh, but they've got all their electronic gadgets with them, and, and they're living just great, and they love it, and all that kind of stuff. 16th of August, 2010, this article, BBC. Uh, many have begun trading in CD, DVDs, and book collections for digital music, movies, and e-books. But this trend in digital technology is now influencing some to get rid of nearly all of their physical possessions, from photographs to furniture to homes altogether. Let's face it, digital files, applications, and web services are replacing the need for many of our physical goods that pepper our homes, crowd our desks, and fill our closets. How amazing it turns, it goes in with the commutarian thing where you're going to live in a little closet and all that kind of stuff. You won't need much. It all fits together. Just coincidence, of course. From online photo albums to virtual filing cabinets to digital music instruments, high-tech replacements are becoming ubiquitous. But as goods continue to make the leap from the bookshelf to the hard drive, some individuals are taking the opportunity to radically change their lifestyles. And we'll talk about the the, the little idiots they're using for after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, reading an article about 21st century minimalism, living out of a hard drive, they call it, as they get uh, the first few of the, the avant-garde, you know, the really trendy ones, who are always, always good at two-shoes, you see, who, who think this is all really good uh, being minimalistic, and I think their brains are minimalistic too, mind you, but... It says, meet Kelly Sutton, a spiky-haired 22-year-old software engineer with thick rim glasses and an empty apartment in Brooklyn's Williamburg neighborhood, a hotbed for New York's young, early adapters of new technology. He's the founder of cultofless.com. I wonder who put him out to that. One of the foundations, no doubt. A website which has helped him sell or give away his possessions, apart from his laptop, an iPad, an Amazon Kindle, two external hard drives, a few articles of clothing and bedsheets, for a mattress that was left in his newly rented apartment. Well, he's, really, he's not really going all the way. He's, he's a newly rented apartment, probably bigger than the last one by probably some foundation that's funding him. Anyway, this 21st century minimalist said he got rid of much of his clutter because he felt, listen to this, the ever-increasing number of available digital goods have provided adequate replacements for his former physical possessions. I like to put this character in the forest in a survival course and see you get a fire going and use his hard drive to, to cut some twigs or cut down a tree. See how well he does on that. Maybe, maybe he'll use his spiky hair. I think cutting down on physical commodities in general might be the trend of my generation. Cutting down on physical commodities that can be replaced by digital counterparts will be a fact, said Mr. Sutton. Like a digital seat there. I'd like to see him sitting on one of those things. Uh, this is the tech-savvy Los Angeles transplant credits, his external hard drives, and online services like iTunes, Hulu, Flickr, Facebook, Skype, and Google Maps, allowing him to lead a minimalistic life. He's, oh, he loves them. He loves his masters, 
for giving him, well, nothing to sit on. I think the shift to all digital formats and all methods and forms of media consumption is inevitable and coming very quickly, he said. So this is how they're pushing the age of austerity into the heads of the, the young ones, you know, who will live in a virtual world and, I guess, live like a yoga floating in the air on a digital seat and all that kind of stuff with their virtual nothings because there's virtually nothing going on in their heads at all. But I'll put this link up for you to, to see too at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website and all the other articles I've mentioned tonight. Just finish off with the Russian scholars come out and warning of secret U.S. climate change weaponry being used over Russia and Pakistan, who are the main countries, of course, are causing a little bit of ruckus with the New World Order at the moment. It's not because I think they're really out of it, uh, definitely not Russia. It's because they want a bit more of the pie, that's all. But um, there's a big standing wave across Russia, this altering the jet streams, exactly what they've got signed into the Treaty on Weather Warfare in the 1970s of the United Nations. That's what it can do. They have used it over Canada. I've watched it for ages on the, the satellites when we're getting nothing but rain for two months at a time. And they're getting it now in, in, in Russia, only it's sucking hot air from Africa. And they're getting fires breaking up, breaking out across the different places. It is being used. And those at the conference said that it made the atom bomb completely obsolete. Covert stealth weaponry. Why not use it? We're watching ourselves being sprayed every day. Sprayed, 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 and lots of folk getting sick from the spray. And no government's going to touch that because it's a must-be. Because we have no representative government, and you know something? We never did. From Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.